We have the ability to define success. It's all about their vision and then making sure you align their vision with their work ethic. I wanted to be a hero, man. I wanted to save kids. That was my job. That's what I was going to do. This is SB Live's The Prep Slab with TJ Cotter, the podcast where you will hear authentic conversations about how things get done in high school athletics. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit scorebooklive.com slash Washington to access all the Prep Slab podcasts as well as statewide high school sports news, features, photos, highlights, and more. If I take care of my teammates, if I do what's difficult, and if I give everything I've got in every single day, I'm going to be a winner. All right, we're really excited today to talk with the head coach at Gonzaga Prep over in Spokane, Coach Matty McIntyre. Uh, coach McIntyre has won three state championships in his time with the Bullpups, dating back to when he first took over in 2011. He's been to five Final Fours in that time. Um, before that, Gonzaga Prep had just been to the state four times over the previous 20 years, and they never won a state title. So just really excited to get a chance to talk to Coach McIntyre about some of his philosophies, particularly defensively that he's instilled. I can Zaga prep. So, Coach McIntyre, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'd love to just kind of have you talk about your story a little bit and how you got back to Gonzaga Prep. As I understand, you graduated from the school in 1999, and you also teach history there. Since you took over, like we said, G Prep has won three state titles, uh, five Final Fours. What's what has your journey looked like in eventually coming becoming the head coach at your alma mater? Yeah, growing up, I actually grew up in Post Falls. My uncle was the head coach of Post Falls High School. I went to all their games. I thought I was going to grow up and be a Post Falls Trojan. Um, And then uh, later in elementary school, my mom uh, and dad uh, wanted me to make sure that I got the best education possible, and they thought that um, Gonzaga Prep would be the answer. So um, I came into Gonzaga Prep not knowing really anything about it. This was kind of my parents' decision. and I'm super glad that, that, that uh, they, they pushed me in this direction because I've kind of centered my life around Gonzaga Prep, actually. It's been a really meaningful experience. Um, so I remember being 17 years old and people asking me, hey, what do you want to do? And, and what are you going to study in college? And I hadn't really given it a whole lot of thought. And I thought, man, it might be kind of cool to come back and teach and coach. Uh, my high school coach uh, named Mike Haugen uh, was uh, hugely influential on me. I mean, this dude was one of the toughest, most competitive guys I've, I've ever been around. But he also loved you and you wanted to um, compete and play as hard as you possibly could for this guy. I just thought he was an incredible man. Um, so I had a great high school experience. So I really never left. I went to school down at Gonzaga University, um, helped out, I think, my freshman year in college, like helping out maybe with the freshman B team as a volunteer assistant. Uh, then I worked uh, five years as our sophomore coach, like the C team coach. Uh, five years as the JV coach, um, and then this might be my twelfth uh, year as, as the head coach. So um, after I finished uh, at Gonzaga University, uh, I was lucky enough to be hired back at Gonzaga Prep after I'd earned my degree. Um, yeah, so really, uh, I'm living a dream, man. Uh, I'm fortunate to be here. I believe in what we're trying to accomplish, and uh, it's really been uh, a big part of my life. Well, I feel like arguably Gonzaga Prep has been the most dominant 4A program in the state over the past decade with the amount of success you have and um, the home you've made at the Tacoma Dome uh, since then. Uh, I'm kind of curious, though, um, how did you go about developing, as I understand, your core values, you call them that your defining dozen. Um, how, how have those evolved since you've taken over and kind of the, the culture you've wanted to build 
um, at your alma mater? Yeah, uh, those principles were established by Mike Haugen. I mean, a lot of what I do, uh, th- that has been set in motion uh, e- even um, before I was playing at prep. Um, so I give a ton of credit to Mike Haugen, even though um, maybe his name isn't under those state championships. He's been a huge piece of, of all of this success. Um, so, so he deserves a, a ton of the credit. I mean, it, it takes years to build this, so I just happen to be in a really fortunate position and reap the rewards of, of the people that have come before me in a lot of ways. Um, but but the, the defining dozen really uh, speaks to the idea of uh, the core values, the things that we ask our kids to do, um, being student-athletes. And we talk often about you're always being evaluated, not just when you're playing basketball, but you're being evaluated in the way you treat people walking down the hall. You're, you're being evaluated by uh, what you're doing on the weekends. And so um, it's not something getting turned off or, or turned on, but the way that you treat people, the way you address people, the way that you act, those things all come through on the basketball court uh, as well, kind of as like a microcosm of the way we live our life. Um, so just trying to get the, get the kids to think about, you know, ba- basketball is a, a really important part of our life, but the way that we do things is equally important. Well, it does sound like it's just been so easy for you. Stepped in your second year as the head coach. You guys won the state title over Curtis in that Devontae Lacey-led team. Uh, you won back-to-back state titles in 2018-2019. Uh, uh, like I said, a ton of Final Fours, and we're going, geez, this just looked so easy for you. What have been the greatest challenges, though? That you face since you've taken over at G Prep? Yeah, going back to that 2011 championship team, that was super special because my first year, um, we were loaded. Man, we had Ryan Nicholas, probably one of the best players to ever come through our school. And I remember when we lost that uh, overtime game, we were in the locker room and everyone was crying their eyes out and it was heartbreak. And I remember we're getting dressed, leaving the Tacoma Dome, and we said, man, there goes, there goes the best player we'll ever coach, Ryan Nicholas. And uh, I felt so heartbroken for him that um, we couldn't get that done. And then the next year, uh, we kind of were the underdogs. We were the dark horse. No one really expected us to to, um, be as successful as we were. So I just think that speaks to year in and year out. uh, You never know how it's going to finish up. You certainly hope for the best, but there's – so it makes the game special and fun. But but, – that was that was a difficult moment, and uh, in a more general sense, the hardest part of this business is probably twofold for me. I hate tryout week. I hate cutting kids. The heartache on on their face, and I want them to keep playing the game and, and be have a lifelong love for it because you can certainly play. I don't want it to be the end of the road or a dead end for them if they don't make the varsity or the JV or whatever the case might be. So I don't. Uh, that's pretty miserable having those conversations, but it's uh, truthful. It's honest. And I think that's the best way to handle it, but um, it's not easy. And then just the other challenge is just balancing family in, in this job and, and, and teaching. I try hard to not be, you know, the coach. I try hard to be an effective teacher. Mike Haugen, uh, one of the things I, I carry with me, as you said, good coaches are going to be good teachers. And so I never want to um, prioritize one over the other, but trying to balance the teaching, the coaching, and the family life yeah, you know, that, that can get stressful over the course of the winter, um, not being able to see the kids and stuff. So everyone uh, deals with those types of situations, but um, th- those are probably some of the challenges that, that come with the job. Well, speaking of teaching, I think the first thing that I think about when I think about your style at Gonzaga Prep is just how tough 
your guys play. And I think a lot of coaches would attest to, especially how tough your pack line defense is and what sets your program apart defensively. And what are some of the core elements, like your non-negotiables that you instill in your players individually and collectively when you're installing your defense each season? I'm proud that we don't just talk the talk, that, that we put a ton of time and energy into our defense. We start there with tryouts. Uh, the whole first day, it's like the kids aren't touching the ball very much. They're, they're doing uh, defensive things. We just had summer 2.0 where um, I was able to get in the gym and work with the kids on Monday. Um, first time I've seen them and worked with them in over a year. And this, the second drill we did was the charge drill. Like, like we love to take charges. And uh, so every, every year I say, I get to be the first one to take a charge. So I jump out there and we get one of the seniors to come over there and, and bowl me over. And I got to be honest, this year I kind of thought twice about it because I'm getting older and, and more out of shape. But uh, the kids, I, I took it and, and the kids ran over and, and picked me up and we start celebrating. So th those are like good fun moments where you uh, can kind of build the culture I certainly um, don't want to ask the kids to do something that I wouldn't do or, or, or couldn't do. I'm getting old enough now where I can't do some of that. But um, so they see that, make it fun. I think, um, you know, developing the culture. Number one, the kids see where you're devoting your time. Our practices are devoted a lot uh, to our defensive stuff and, and maybe to a detriment of the offense. But in the high school season, it's so hard to iron it all out the season just moves so fast that you have to kind of pick and choose who you want to be and what you want your team to look like um so i guess that to, to kind of finish that up it's like if a kid made a three-pointer we'd be happy but if a kid took a charge uh everybody would be screaming on the bench standing up pumping fists um those are maybe maybe some some ways that we've helped develop the culture but uh at the end of the day the, the toughness piece um, I, I get to deal with great kids, families that support us, that buy in. This isn't for everyone. We understand that. This program isn't for everyone. But the people that choose to be here um, understand what they're getting into. And, and so we're all kind of on the same page there. Well, I, I love how you, you make yourself vulnerable in your coaching. And in your case, quite literally making yourself vulnerable, getting beat up by one of your seniors. But uh, yeah, I love that you're making yourself relatable, making yourself vulnerable, like you're in it with them. You're not the sage on the stage. And um, you know, the, the other part I love that is you understand that, that your, your style's weaknesses. Like if you're going you're gonna to go with any sort of system, they all have their weaknesses. And you understand that maybe yours is going to be offensively, but you know, do do what we are what we're going to do defensively going to make up for that and in this case in 2011 title game and you guys played a curtis team that had Devonte lacy want to play at wazoo and they were averaging like something like 70 points a game and you held them to like 40 in a championship game that's not uncommon to what you guys have done over the years i i really like this quote i saw from one of your players after that championship game they're talking about your guys's defense and he said quote we swarm we help each other. We stay low. We help each other. We know if we help someone that someone's going to help us. We're unselfish on defense. What stands out to you about that description compared to how you view your defense and what is important to you as your, as the coach defensively? Well, that, that makes me super proud. I think that was actually Chris Sarbaugh that maybe uh, said that quote at, at the end of that game. And uh, it shows the buy-in that we're getting from the kids that they, that they believe in what we're telling them and at the end of the year he recognized that um it speaks to me on the matter of like trust that he realizes that he needs his other buddies and his teammates to to pick him up um 
And our system is based off that. If we're going to put that much pressure on the ball, there has to be a massive amount of trust and unselfishness in the guys behind you to make it all go. I, I think of our defense as like a puzzle, and you fit the, the pieces together. And if one of the pieces isn't working, then the entire thing looks pretty unfinished, looks pretty bad. Um, and so that's a message that we that we ask the kids to buy into. Um, and on a, on a greater scale, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, it's like uh, trying to keep, teach kids like some values uh, or principles that they can carry with them the rest of their life. I mean, I told you I'm not, not very tech savvy, but the idea of social media and the world today, uh, valuing instant gratification, power, money, control, whatever it might be. Um, and it's, it's really simple message that we all know to be true, but you have to work through that. You have to go through the process. The building of, of the foundation is what's going to create the success, not the instantaneous stuff. So we ask the kids to be countercultural in some way and pushing back against these social norms or, or expectations that young people face. Um, and I hope that's a message that resonates with them the rest of their life. It's okay to be different. Um, and then just to bring it back to basketball, years ago, the goal was how do we win a state championship? And we knew that um, we're not usually going to have the athletes. I've, I've been blessed to coach some really, really good athletes. But some of the teams in Tacoma and Seattle um, are just more athletic than us. So we have to play a style that's different. We, we can't run up and down and play fast uh, break basketball uh, very much in that Tony Bennett mold of slow it down, control possessions. Um, and that's how we thought that we would gain success, especially against um, the, the best teams. That was our best route to success. So that's, that's kind of where that, that came from. We, we couldn't run with Federal Way or Garfield uh, and be successful. I want to take a moment to tell you about something really exciting for high school sports fans across the country. SB Live Sports has launched a free iPhone and Android app featuring the latest high school sports news here in Washington and across the country. With the SB Live Sports app, it's now even easier to follow your favorite team and tailor your experience to your interests. With real-time scores and news alerts, as well as video highlights, podcasts, photo galleries, rankings, game coverage, and much more, the app delivers on the content you want in one convenient place. The SB Live Sports app features exclusive content from on-the-ground reporters across the country, and it's the number one source for Washington high school sports fans with coverage from reporters Todd Millis, myself, Andy Bueller, as well as SB Live's preeminent basketball mind and recruiting expert, Dan Dickow. The SB Live Sports app is available at no charge in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Download it today. I want to come back to some of the things you said there in a little bit, but um, I want to kind of talk about, you mentioned Tony Bennett there, and we all we kind of know Dick Bennett as the godfather of pack line defense. As I understand, you had a few opportunities to actually work um, collaboratively with Tony Bennett on some of the stuff that you guys run. How much has he influenced um, some of your philosophies? And um, talk about those opportunities you've had to go work with Tony a little bit. Yeah, collaboration might be a strong word. Maybe maybe a fly on the wall, or <laughs> sitting, I'm sitting in the corner and uh, getting wisdom uh, from from coaches that are a lot better than me. But um, my my first experience um, 
with Dick Bennett is actually on this old 1980s DVD uh, that my high school coach would show us, and it was a pressure system. It's one that uh, Wisconsin Green Bay used back uh, when Tony was a player for his dad and Terry Porter was on that team. And this was in-your-face, super aggressive, deny all the passing lanes, and that's the style that we played uh, when I played a prep. And um, then later on, when I was about 22, I think I was a sophomore coach. Uh, my head coach, or the head coach at the time, took us down to WSU when, when Tony would, just got the job down there. And we're sitting in the office, and I just thought it was the coolest thing. Like, we're having this conversation uh, about basketball and doubling the post. I remember WSU was getting ready to play the, the Lopez brothers from Stanford, and Tony was stressed out of his mind about how are we going to guard these guys. And so we're just talking hoops. And I thought it was, like, one of the coolest moments um, and then they started asking us questions like, what would you do? And, and what about this situation? And, and I guess the takeaway was just the incredible humility that, that Tony and his staff had. Um, and I didn't say anything. The other older coaches were, were talking. I was just kind of listening, taking it all in. But uh, it's a super special memory for me. Um, and then a few years ago, maybe four or five years ago, I got a chance to take my staff. We flew over to Charlottesville. Uh, and got to watch practice and visit with the staff again and see Tony. And uh, so, um, yeah, he was kind of joking, like, I can't believe you'd fly all the way across the country to watch the 115th-ranked offensive team in the country. And so we laughed, and we said, no, let's let's learn some more on the defense. So it's been interesting to see how their defensive philosophies have, have evolved and how he's changed from his dad's concepts. Um, but no, I, I think the world of Tony, and, and we've certainly based a lot of our defensive stuff off of what they're what they're doing. Are there any though, Maddie McIntyre like stamps on your guys' defense? What you guys do though? I mean, obviously everyone has to put their little their 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 niche on some of these things. But what are some of the things that set the way you do things apart from maybe the traditional Bennett pack line and what maybe other programs will try to do? Having athletes really helps. Having athletes makes everything look better. So I, I, I certainly am not naive enough to think that what we're doing is better or worse than anyone else. It's just that we've decided to, to go this route, and this is what we're going to put our time and energy into. But there's uh, hundreds of ways to, to, to be successful and, and to make it work. Um, so uh, some non-negotiables. Uh, you know, I think about summer league when I'm just not, just meeting the incoming freshmen and and we just uh, hockey sub them five at a time, and we're learning names, and kids run around and play. And we'd say, like, well, one of our principles is, is don't get beat to the middle. And we have to explain that to the kids and teach them about what that means. And then as the kids play, if they get beat to the middle on dribble penetration, they come out of the game. And um, it's not meant to be punitive or, or punish the kids, but it, it's amazing how – uh, playing time and sitting on the bench can be a really effective teacher. And so I think that's one of the things, like, hey, that's a starting point for an incoming freshman. Here's our first rule. Don't get beat to the middle. Um, and and, and pr put pressure on the basketball and try to limit vision. And so um, that's a non-negotiable. Um, and, and the kids learn that pretty quick. Summer's a great time to teach that and instill those concepts and then be able to have an immediate uh, consequence and be able to just to talk to the kids and say, hey, look at what happened here. Um, so the defensive system um, has changed over the years. We haven't, we moved away from the Dick Bennett super aggressive deny every pass and teams have gotten better at, uh, you know, figuring some of this stuff out. So we've had to adjust as, as this whole thing evolves, certainly.
Well, I, I love the idea of you know taking the kid out um, if he gets beat middle, and that's such a great feedback opportunity. Like we, just, you give him all these drills and have the greatest drills in the world, but there's no feedback going on. There's no there's no learning happening. There's no correction going on. There's no learning, and this is a great way to to correct kids. There, um, you know, my perception is we've seen a lot of programs though evolve offensively to this modern basketball concept: spacing, positionless, playing fast. You know, get a shot up in the first seven seconds of the shot clock, and and more teams getting better from behind the three-point arc too. How have your defensive principles evolved, if at all, as you've seen more of these teams spreading out and playing more outside in over the years? Right. Uh, no, that's a great question. I, I think really philosophically it comes down to being different and, and what you have to do to be successful to beat the best teams and maybe the teams that are a little bit better than you or ahead of you. And, and the way to do that is if we fundamentally think that we're not always the, the, the best or the most athletic team, um, and I understand that we had Anton and we had some really good players come through, so we're, we're close, but that style to just, just uh, run up and down and shoot super freely and quickly, um, that, that kind of pairs with our defensive philosophy. You have to marry your defense and your offense to what you're trying to accomplish. And if you're going to shoot in the first seven seconds and then you're going to try to work for, for 30 seconds, work the shot clock down on the defensive end for 30 seconds, uh, I'd imagine that would get pretty frustrating as a player, that you're exerting all this energy and then uh, up, up goes the shot. So the philosophy of sharing the ball, being selfless, those ideas are married between our offensive and defensive philosophies, um, if, if that makes sense. It just wouldn't it wouldn't fit for us to do that. And, and being different is how you be successful. And I, I just think, man, having a low post player in high school basketball, if you got somebody like that that you can throw the ball to, even just get a catch, you can be pretty successful uh, with with just throwing the ball in there. Um, and that's coming that's becoming harder and harder to come by, but. I still think that's a really uh, big advantage if you got a, a decent down low guy. It seems like yeah, today any sort of guys you would traditionally see down low are now playing from the three point line. It's it's a lot of a lot of teams doing that. I'm kind of curious as this modern basketball has evolved too. How have you adjusted maybe pick and roll coverages? It's, that's become such a huge facet of today's game too. Just how how do how do you um, uh, how do you um, account for pick and roll coverages in your defense today? Early on in my career, it was like we would just hard hedge and we'd be super aggressive on the, on the ball. and We'd really just have one way to do it. This is who we are. This is what we would do. As the years have rolled along, we've, uh, that, that's not a sustainable model. So that's one of the things I've uh, grown into, I think, is you have to be able to change your pick and roll defense, whether it's switching or how you want to hedge it or you want to catch it. Not many teams in high school are going to ice a ball screen. Uh, maybe I've seen that with one team in, in 12 years of doing this. But that's really where the scouting comes from is most of our scouting is devoted to pick and roll opportunities, understanding what the other guys can do. Um, and that a lot of our practice time is devoted to pick and roll coverages. So uh, on a game-by-game -game basis, even a personnel-by-personnel, a, a personnel, maybe, maybe some guy's going to pick and pop, one guy's going to pick and roll, uh, we'll change that and have different rules for different people. But that's probably – where we spend the majority of the scout is, is how we want to handle those types of situations. Well, you've touched on this a couple of times in here, but you've, you've developed some exceptional players at your time there. Anton Watson, the two-time state player of the year, highlighting that group. And like I said, early on, you had Chris Silba. And, um, you know, but what do you do to get guys to sacrifice for your program? Though? It's one thing to get the talents, one thing, another thing to get them to buy into a 
pack line defense, playing tough, playing Gonzaga prep basketball, to get guys to buy in and play team first, and how do you and your staff facilitate that and build team chemistry within that talent? Yeah, um, I, I would be lying if, if I said that I, I did a whole bunch. I think it stems from a couple of things. Number one, great kids and great families that buy in. That philosophy is the philosophy of the school, of Gonzaga Prep, of being selfless. Um, there's, there's religious undertones there that we're trying to create people that are going to serve society and do, do great things. And uh, this is bigger than yourself. There's a re- religious uh, message there. Um, and so the, the, the kids that we're getting that I get a chance to coach, um, they're hearing this not just on the basketball court, but they're hearing this at the school. Their parents probably already have a notion of this or instilling this in their day-to-day lives. So I'd hate to take credit and think that I'm doing something incredible. Um, it, I, th- I think it takes uh, this village, this community uh, that makes it special and, and makes that message stick. Oh, no, that's so important that it's not just coming from one place. It's not just coming from the basketball program. That's coming from every facet around them. Because ultimately, you know, if, if you're not winning that state championship every year, what are you giving these kids, right? If you're not the one team out of the 60 in your classification that aren't winning a state championship, what are they getting? They should be getting something. Because a lot of kids are not getting that, that gold ball at the end of the year. Um, so you'd hope that they're hearing these messages, not just in your program. That's such a, that's a key point, I think. Um, but you kind of touched on this earlier, too. You know, they hear coaches talk about players more today that need that immediate satisfaction. Like they need to be on varsity or they're just going to be a problem kid in your program. Or they need to be starting or they're going to be pouting and be a problem. Do you see that in your program? And how do you encourage players to, to buy into being program first when you get that? Yeah, uh, I do see it. And I do see it maybe uh, becoming more prevalent even even. Uh, more than 10, 20 years ago, for sure. Expectations have changed. Um, and I think what we try to do is we try to be honest and, and we recognize, hey, this this isn't for everyone here. Um, this is the way we do things. And, and I have lost good players because they're not getting promised, um, you know, playing time at an at, at early level. I, I believe going back to that foundation that as a freshman, playing with your freshman buddies regardless of how good good or bad you are there's relationship building i mean enjoy the journey like that's not going to be the difference of you getting recruited or not recruited um and and like for anton right i mean as a freshman we knew like we need this guy right now on varsity because he's going to help us uh, versus the best kids in the state i mean that's how talented he is but um like ryan nicholas ryan nicholas played freshman basketball he was he was a stud and he's getting a Division One scholarship by the time it's all said and done. So the, the process, the patience, um, Parker Kelly, Chris Sarba, all those kids played on the freshman team with their buddies. And uh, in hindsight, I don't think they would have changed that. They enjoyed those those moments. But, but I do feel the pressure um, coming into the high school game. I, I don't know who, who's promising uh, these kids, but I, I think kids hear, man, I'm really good, maybe by their personal trainer their AAU coach and sometimes it falls on the high school coach to be the bearer of bad news because maybe we're not getting paid as a a personal trainer if I'm being honest right I mean um, so I think there's a little bit more pressure there being a high school coach than in these other arenas you have to be honest you have to have these hard conversations and if it's the first time a kid has had that um, it can be difficult yeah, a friend of mine who was on one of our earlier podcasts, Colin Henderson, really talked about this this difference between 
the approved mindset and an improved mindset. They have so many kids who are validated by I need I'm on varsity. And if I'm not on varsity, it's validating me as a person. I'm not good enough. Instead of coming in saying, how can I improve every single day? Um, yeah, is that something that just kind of you would see as well? One hundred percent. I heard a great quote from Coach Few regarding Jalen Suggs. It had something to do with like I don't know, like uh, Nimhart coming in, transferring in from Florida or something. And, and, and it went something like, well, what, what is Suggs going to – how Suggs going to feel about this? They're both guards. And Suggs said something like, I want the best dudes coming in here. I'm not afraid to compete. And, and so it's not like you steer away from the competition or other good players. It's like I can practice with a guy that's really good and make me better. So it's a shift of, of the person's mindset mentality, not to run from the competition, but if you truly are going to be awesome – and that's something that you should welcome. And I think too often, um, again, we go back to the instant gratification, and they, they need to feel validated by being on varsity or having a certain role or, or whatever the case might be. And part of that's human nature, but I also think it's important that we intentionally push back on that, at least in certain at certain times. Mm-hmm. And try to just that focus on what can you do to improve today and not trying to just, yeah, to be proven yourself to everybody in here. Um, now, I kind of feel like that ties into to this, though. Like, what, what does leadership development look like um, at Gonzaga Prep? And how much an emphasis is that for you to appoint captains, develop leaders? And I was thinking, player-led or coach-led, how do you handle uh, leadership development in your program? Yeah, I think, uh, well, my answer might uh, be different than, than maybe you'd expect, but uh, I don't put a lot of emphasis uh, on that, especially like captains. Like, like early on in my career, like that was uh, important and we did those things. As the years have rolled along, um, I, I'm not convinced it's, it's effective use of my time and energy um, because it kind of goes back to the defining dozen. You're expected to behave and, and be a leader in all these areas of your life. And if you buy into that, walking down the hall, you're a captain. You're not just the captain when you walk out before the game and meet the officials. Right? That would be like drawing attention to yourself. If that is that meaningful to you, which is something that we we are trying to uh, work away from, right? Um, and so I don't even address it anymore. Uh, I, that's not even a part of like my thinking. I don't have captains. I uh, the kids just walk out there. They figure it out on their own on the first game because they probably don't remember what happens at the beginning of the season. Like who who goes out there? But yet the referee yells for them. Two or three of them go out there. Uh, I, I don't. I could care less. Um, so I'm not. I don't know if that's good or bad, but maybe that's player directed. Maybe that's uh, a variety of kids circling through. But they're all asked to be leaders in different realms of the team. I mean, even if it's the twelfth guy, he's expected to be a leader or a captain on the, on the team uh, in his role. And so I've actually kind of gone the other way, where uh, there's there's not hardly any emphasis on that. So fascinating. I mean, it's kind of, you're talking the pre-call a little bit about how like during the pandemic when you couldn't talk to a lot of guys that they were kind of doing some self-organizing things. So in a, in a lot of ways, it sounds like the way you um, approach uh, leadership development or don't approach it, it kind of creates this intrinsic leadership development based off of your defining dozen, like you say. Do you see a lot of that? Yeah, like, like one of my things is that uh, one of my... I don't know, worries is that things have become so organized and so, like, uh, direct that, that the kids have forgotten how to organize a five-on-five, you know, run at the park. Like, like there's uh, this part of growing up, like, problem-solving, who's calling the fouls, how are we going to make this situation just, you know, or uh, get everybody involved, how are we going to get uh, kids participating? 
And so I don't want those things to be lost. I mean, I sound like an old man here, which I probably am, but, um, you know, it doesn't have to be so organized, especially outside of the season, that, that there's things that kids can gain on growing up and being an adult that come with those moments where they have to do it. Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the things that, so my, I got to cover the Mariners for a season at the News Tribune. Um, I found a year there, and one of the things that their manager, Scott Service, said is they were trying to get their catcher, Mike Zanino, to change his swing. And they knew if they approached him, it might not be as welcomed as Kyle Seeger approached him because they were really good friends. So they went to Kyle Seeger and said, hey, we're going to go talk to him about changing his swing. We know he's going to come to you. We need you to buy into this. What do you think? And he was on board with it. And sure enough, he got his validation from another player. And so, so many of these things, when you have these player-led teams, players learn more from other players than they do from us. It's just, just kind of the way it is. How do you facilitate some of that, too? Like, when you're in a game and you want to get a point across, and maybe, or maybe you want a player to step up and say something instead of you saying it, how do you handle some of those conversations? Yeah, I think that comes with the freedom. Like, I remember um, at the end of that state uh, championship team in 2011, like, Chris Sarbaugh really emerged as the as the vocal leader towards uh, the end of that season, and he'd obviously earned the respect of his teammates. So, um, I, I think that those those things are always changing, um, you know, on a day to day basis, like how kids are feeling or or what their emotional state is or how comfortable they are in speaking speaking the leadership, and then other kids are going to feel a lot more comfortable in modeling the leadership, and so. You know, I guess just being open-minded to a bunch of different personalities. There's not one right or wrong way that kids have to lead. That, that you accept them for who they are and let them uh, follow their path and be be authentic to themselves and real. And then I think those moments, those those opportunities, kind of present themselves randomly throughout the season. They're hard to like practice for or pinpoint. But if you created that openness, then then the kids will uh, walk through that door. The free, sounds like a freedom to be, have authentic, you know, leadership growing opportunities in your program too, which I, I love that idea. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I want to ask you, you've had a lot of multi-sport kids in your program too. I think over the year, that, that second state one with Sam Lockett and Devin Culp are two big time football players too. What's, what's your philosophy on handling your players who also play other sports? And I feel like there's plenty of coaches I know who really don't like basketball players who play football as a second sport just because of the injury possibilities. But you have a lot of those players. So how do you feel about that? And how do you deal with athletes who have to maybe miss things for other sports, even though you still want to build on the foundation of your program and obviously hold everyone accountable? Yeah, I have really strong – I have a strong opinion on this. Uh, I, I, I'm not pleased when we try to make kids play our sport. Um, that, 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 that's like self-centered. I don't think it's good for young people. Um, I get the 10,000 hours and being perfect. I wrote my master's thesis uh, paper on, on this uh, playing multiple sports, and, and the data shows that um, they're no more likely to get a college scholarship by focusing uh, on a sport, and uh, burnout is going to be increased by doing this. On a bigger scale, they're high school kids, man. I mean, I want them to have fun playing football with their buddies, uh, going and getting a hamburger afterwards, uh, playing basketball, playing baseball. I am totally open and supportive of multi-sport athletes. I mean, it doesn't make a difference if it, if there's a pitcher on the on the mound is a full count in the ninth inning, bases are loaded. There's not a whole lot of difference between throwing that pitch and trying to make a free throw, uh, in my opinion. 
I mean, you can shoot a thousand free throws, but do you want to be there? Do you want to be in that moment? What 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 experience can, experiences can you lean on in your in your past uh, to get to get through the stress of that moment? Um, and really, it's about kids having fun and having experiences. And I think football kids make the basketball team better. Going around one on o doing all these drills, hey, that's good. That's cool. I'm not against that. Kids need that. But at the same time, there's a physicalness um, that, that comes with football or, or baseball. Um, and then from a practical standpoint, man, we're a two-way school. We have we have 800 kids at the school. Uh, if we started trying to say, oh, this kid's mine and this kid's yours, we're gonna we're gonna lose at everything we do. And so, um, luckily, the the, the coaches uh, in our community understand that, and we have to share athletes. And I love how your system plays off of the the the, uh, the demographic that you have at your school. If you have fewer kids, but you also have a lot of really good football players, well, let's build our system on playing tough, pack line defense. You know, and we're going to hold a team like Curtis in the state championship to 40 points. And how, how, how important is that to you to base what you do off of the, the, the demographic that you have to work with? Yeah, 100%. Um, our defense is built off some of those that toughness uh, stuff and, and having football players participate uh, in basketball. Uh, it's coaches working together, um, but also it's the idea of like getting different experiences. Like them hearing our football coach's voice is maybe going to be different than mine, but they're going to learn something different from him. And, and so uh, the variety of voices, the variety of experiences is going to help grow these young people um, rather than, than – listening to me for 12 months out of the year and after two weeks they'd probably tune me out anyway so be sick of it so it's good to get different uh voices involved and different leadership styles Um, but but i'm all for multi-sport athletes and i think it's a shame that we're putting pressure on kids to make decisions at an early age i'm very much against that well, we've been so, so honored to hear from Coach Maddie McIntyre at Gonzaga Prep. Coach, thank you so much for sharing the game and sharing your philosophies and uh, taking all this time to, to talk with us today. We really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. I had a lot of fun visiting with you. Thanks for having me.